0: According to 1st Peter chapter 3 verse 15, that believers are to make a defense for the hope that you have. Also Philippians chapter 1 verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. We are commanded to defend the word of God. The context of the Word of God in the purity of the Word of God. This is the Defender of the Word of God.
1: Welcome, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. You are on another broadcast of the Defender. And today's date is Sunday, February the 24th, 2019. And I'm telling you the, the year's are already going by fast. We've seen some incredible things happen even in this year. Well, tonight I want to tell you, that I got a very special guest. Not only is he a guest, but he's a, a friend and somebody I call my big brother. Uh, this man of God is a, a tremendous impact, has made a tremendous impact in my life and so many others uh, that I've met just in the city of where we are. Um, just different um, emphasis that he's been placed in people's lives and different young men that he's counseled that he's mentored people that he's trained up uh, in the ways of God and so I'm just honored to have him with us tonight ladies and gentlemen y'all are in for a treat this is my friend and none other let me just introduce to some uh, who may not know my brother this is Pastor Renee Lanos and uh, we basically gonna get into this and let him share all of what God has done in his life. Big Brother, it's an honor and a privilege to have you on the show this evening.
2: Greeting, my brothers, in the name of Jesus. You know, first of all, I want to say thank you to the Lord for this opportunity and say thank you to you for what you're doing weekly through this broadcast. And my desire is whoever hears the testimony, this broadcast, and any future broadcast that their life will be changed and impact by the power of God.
1: Amen. Amen. Well, you know, that's what we always hope for, uh, brother. We 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 always uh and that's why we do this, you know, and so, you know, ladies and gentlemen, know that you can be a part of what we're doing, you know. Uh this is the Defender Broadcast. Some of y'all are with us week after week. None other. Uh my name is James Fox and we host this show, particularly so that people can hear, like my brother just said, uh testimonies and different powerful, impactful moments that can change their life. So we are on every Sunday at 6 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time, 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and 4 o'clock p.m. Pacific Standard Time. This is an outreach of James Fox Ministries. And listen, if you want to be a partner with us, we would encourage you to do so. You can go to our page, that's anchor.fm forward slash the hyphen Defender. That's anchor.fm forward slash the hyphen defender. And on that page, we got a three-tier level that you can be a participant. You can start in at just 99 cents a month. Then we have a 499 and a 999. So wherever you feel comfortable, listen, we here at James Fox Ministries would love for you to be a part of what we're doing to continue to get this gospel out on the airways. So without any further ado, let me go ahead and let this man of God introduce himself to you and tell you about who he is. Uh, as I said, this is my friend, my brother, Pastor Rene Lanos. So I want to ask you, Pastor, um, I know you come from a, a different sector and you've had a long uh, career. and We'll get into that as far as uh, where God is taking you. But tell the people about a little bit where you were born and where you were raised at
2: i was born in jersey city new jersey i'm from the east coast born in the late 1960s my parents they're from puerto rico but they raised us in the northern part of new jersey and as i speak here shortly you know it was not easy growing up in the east coast
1: i can believe that i know many people that have uh in that era and in that time and growing up in that in that part, you know, I know that it's uh, some challenges, but I'm just thankful that, you know, regardless of the challenges and things you went through, I know that God has molded you and made you into the powerful, anointed man of God that you are today. So tell the people, let, let's understand a bit about that background. So what type of family dynamic was present in your household during that time?
2: You know, at this age and with the knowledge that I have, I would say that I was blessed to be raised by both parents, um, very strictly, with a lot of discipline, but there was no fear of God. We were Catholic by name, never practiced it as long as as I could remember growing up, but at the same token, I was raised in a home where my dad was an alcoholic, um, to a certain degree abusive, what today we would have called child services but he did love us and especially my mom she passed away two years ago but i was raised with with four siblings in a in a home that i remember sharing one room with my two other brothers it was a small apartment and day by day just making it make ends meet
1: wow and now this was in new jersey so this was in the city so of course there was, you was no stranger to the things that was happening around and the elements that was in your environment, I'm sure.
2: Oh, yeah, mo- most most definitely. I mean, I, um, I grew up most of my life, what we call the projects, and as soon as you stepped out of your apartment into a hallway, you had the the odor of marijuana in the elevators, going down the elevators into the street, people hustling, people trying to make it, it all kind of environments, you know, threads going around you, and you as, as a small child, you see this. Um, my parents would keep us inside of the apartment the majority of the time, but you know, when we went out to school, and as I'll share here shortly, at an early age, I I was exposed to all this, and I started practicing what I was seeing.
1: Wow, wow, that's uh, you know, I, I mean, people say that environment. Um some people say you know environment you know only can dictate but so much and then there's other ones that say you know that it that it it does but you know in my experience and what I've seen you know I know that you know having an environmental analysis of where you are and what you're going through really can tremendously impact the outcome of uh, a young a young child's life. Now you know, of course, some of us are built differently. Some of us are more sensitive to things, and we get drawn in. I guess that's just you know what kind of DNA we're composed with. But I truly believe that environment, you know, can really set the standard and precedence for where you're going. So let me ask you this: So you said you were there. We understand you were there with your mom and your dad, and you know you had your older brothers, and y'all were in a tight knit. Um, family setting, family dynamic. So I know your father was there, but was there the presence of any other male role models early in your life? Or did you have any mentors that kind of helped shape the way you think uh, in your family, the school, or the community that you were uh, growing up in?
2: No, unfortunately, you know, I was surrounded by a lot of males in my family and my neighborhood, but none of them would take the time to speak to me, nor my brothers. My uncles, they were alcoholic. The people that we knew, like I said, they were hustling. I could remember um, because of of being bullied at an early age, You know, my parents, they enrolled us in a boys, boys and girls club, and we belonged to a boxing team. Our coach, he would speak to us about not getting in trouble, training, discipline, but that's as far as, it, it went. So here at the age of, of eight years old, I'm learning, you know, to throw punches and I, and then they would give me these gloves that were 12 ounces that were so heavy for me. My coach had to get me these, um, toy gloves that were about eight ounces. So that was real small and skinny, but I was learning to box. So the reason I was learning to box was to be able to, when I got in the street to fight, when I got to scoop, I would not get beat up, but I didn't have anybody speaking into my, into me, a role model, you know, coaching and, and mentoring me.
1: Wow. And you know what, and I, I find that, and I guess that's why I'm not surprised to see the impact that you have on other young men' lives and have been, you know, through the years, uh, because of what you uh, was missing out on at such an early age, I always say, and I ask God myself, let me become that which I didn't have." you know And so everybody have their experience, so that's just powerful um, to hear you say that. So you had all of these men. All you know, it, it wasn't a, it wasn't that it wasn't a presence of males around, but there was no one that had got any real uh, conversion in themselves or training in themselves where they can impart anything to you other than their own dysfunction, and that's right. kind and, and,
2: and I imagine uh, that you you were exposed to this that you were very respectful of your elders, and if they were speaking you will not speak. So you will see them smoking, drinking, cursing, you know, cheating on their wife. They're talking, but on all that conversation, they're not talking to you. You're shut down. You know, you either go to your room or you sit there, you make no noise. And if you move, you, you would get um, spanked. So in that environment, where is the teaching? Where's the coaching? Wow. Wow.
1: Well, you know what though? You know what, though, Pastor, I think that the teaching and the coaching, we got it, even though it was nonverbal towards us. We watched their actions, and that's what taught and coached us. So, you know, you, you learn from what they were doing, even if they weren't speaking directly to you. And I don't know where that comes from anyway, you know be seen but not heard, you know, this, this is stuff we just passed, I know you heard it through your yep. your upbringing, it's kind of like, well, you know, I'm like, well, you know, how are we going to learn if we can't ask a question, you know, if we can't, you know, Ask you know about something. How are we gonna grow and get knowledge? So you know, I think a lot of stuff we just gotta we just gotta do away with because a lot of it's just dysfunction. So we understand that. Now let me ask you this. So you said you were there, you were boxing, trying to learn how to fend off stuff. So what kind of interests and hobbies did you have uh, just growing up as a young man uh, in that surrounding? Did you have anything that kind of kindled your interest uh, at an early age?
2: Well. It was a fast lane, a busy city, the projects, and my interest at an early age was sport. So
1: you I okay. started at
2: the age of 8, of eight um, on weekends or Friday nights. We would go to different clubs, traveling through New Jersey into the New York area. Um, I love watching wrestling to this day on Saturday. I'll, I'll watch boxing, UFC, wrestling. It's my passion. I practice it. I loved it. So that was my interest. Other than that, you know, if, if you went in, in the streets, you, you would be afraid that you would get um, jumped. Or if a, a grown-up outside of the street would come and talk to you, he's offering you drugs. He's either a, a hustler, a, a, a drug dealer, or he's he's trying to bully you. So there was not much that we would do outside of our home. Like, we have the blessing here where we live that our kids could go out to the playground, outside, talk to the friends. We had that environment. So really it was um, sports. And like I said, I learned to enjoy and love the sport of boxing, but I was using it as a surviving tool.
1: So it wasn't like a sport. It was like I'm just trying to make it from day to day. So with all of that in the environment and then uh, in the home life, you know, you did tell us that that was a very strict environment. Uh, you, You mentioned earlier that it was Uh, What many would consider, you know, abusive or, you know, you have CPS involved, you know, um, in today's time. So, well, what was that like uh, being such a young, you know, a young man and then seeing that and having to deal with that? How did you deal with that um, in your upbringing? Well,
2: here's what happened. You start to shut down because you're afraid to speak out now. God bless my mom because she was there, you know. If we were getting abused or abused or, by or, or my dad, my mom would step in. So she was the one that really was the role model for our family. You know, she she was that, that foundation, that, that cornerstone in our house because we didn't know God. We didn't know anything about Christianity. So when this happened, we all shut down and even speaking with my brothers at at this age and we talk about this what we did is we went outside of the home and trying to seek an answer you know we were led in the wrong direction
1: wow wow man that's 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 powerful man i mean with so many things hitting you at one time and you know, just sounds like you were really just trying to find your identity. So as you're dealing with these things, so uh, you said you grew up Catholic. You did not, you know, wasn't practicing Catholic, uh, didn't have any uh, reference to God or who he was or Christianity, as you just mentioned. So tell us about when when you had your encounter with the Lord or when did you truly understand salvation? What What happened to you during that time?
2: So what happened was, my mom's brother that came to the lord he was also an alcoholic and he came to the lord he invited us to a christian church in 1980 i was 13 years old uh-huh. and attended vacation bible school for one week and during that week that we att- me and, and my two older brothers attended um vacation bible school we accepted the lord we met this gentleman there his name was brother nelson he was with the assembly of god and they had what they called the royal rangers And it was like the Boy Scouts. So Uh he asked us, we we found interest in, in that. And he was the one that got involved in my life and in the life of my older brother because he was in gangs, he was with drugs. So he knew what was going on. And I could say that Brother Nelson became our spiritual father. That was our first encounter because we were exposed to something that we didn't know was available that was possible so here we're listening to to someone that's been out in the street and now he's talking to you about the love of the lord forgiveness you don't have to live this way it was it, it was a shock and at my first exposure to who god was or to even have a bible in my hand was at the age of 13 in 1980 that was the first time
1: wow wow Thirteen years old, <clears throat> that's the first time that you were able to have a physical Bible in your hand, and you know we we take for granted that we have you know because they're you know they're at them now i mean you there's Bibles everywhere, and you'll see them you know like even at church or churches or whatever they're just thrown over here or thrown over there, but here this was you it took thirteen years for you to even get one in your hand i mean that's just that that's incredible.
2: It is, and, and it's a blessing, you know, and, and nowadays, you have your Bible on a tablet, on a phone, and unfortunately, many people don't even read it. Right. It, wow. And I, as soon as I was able to open the Bible, and the pastor was be speaking, Brother Nelson would be talking to us, and I'm reading the Bible, and what he's talking is making sense, and I'm identifying, it started making an impact in my life.
1: hmm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. So it started impacting you. Now this is, you know, many people don't have spiritual mentors or fathers in the faith uh, that they can turn to. So it's a real blessing that you were able to receive that. And uh, So you're 13 years old. You're going through that. So how did your life begin to um how did your life begin to uh, progress on from there? Because you're going through school, uh, you know, at this thir- at this time, you know, at 13 years old, then you're going through your teenage years. So how did you battle or how did you win the fight with all of the pressures and things that go on at being a young teenager, being exposed to the Lord and receiving salvation, but then having to face all of the uh, elements that you were dealing with in coming up how did that balance out for you
2: well you know I would I didn't have the knowledge to deal with so I'm enjoying my first love and knowing the Lord going to church exposed to something different but unfortunately at the age of 14 for the first time I'm introduced to drug by this time my older brother is 19 he's out of the house my sister, she married early, so she's out of the house. So I'm going to high school on my own. My youngest brother, he's still in elementary. So I'm on my own. My mom and dad, they're working to make ends meet. So day by day, I'm I'm leaving home, and in, in that process, I'm exposed to drugs. I remember having a newspaper route, and what I would do was I would go, like, to the, the newsstand where they had more newspapers, and I started building an account on my own without reporting it So I could make more money. So I'm using this money to buy drugs in school. So by the age of 14, I'm using marijuana. I'm I'm drinking alcohol. I remember they would have these small bottles, um, and, and these different stores that you would open, you would sniff these bottles and you would get an immediate high. So I'll be going into class and I am high while I'll be cutting class and going to a friend's house to do drugs. Um, I would tell my mom, Hey, I'm going to church. So, on a day, I would get out from school, say 3 o'clock, I'll get in a bus or train, drive to New York. I'm in New York and Times Square, 42nd Street. I would go down to the Bronx. I'm running all this on my own. Mm. So, from wow. the age of 14 all the way through the age of 16, I'm doing alcohol and I'm doing marijuana and I'm exposed to everything that you could think of in the street. At the same time, I'm going to church, but I didn't know how to deal with this spiritual battle, with this, all, all this temptation. So this is what became my appetite at an early age. Th- that's why I'm so cautious, and I speak to young people, because when you're exposed to these desires of the flesh, the lust of the flesh, um, these different bad habits, it becomes your appetite. And as you grow, and a grown man, this becomes a battle that we face daily, but now we know different. We know how to battle in, in in the spiritual. But at that age, I didn't know.
1: Wow, man. Do y'all hear that, ladies and gentlemen, if you're just joining our broadcast? This is Brother uh, Pastor Rene Lonos and he's giving us his testimony, telling us about You know, just the things that God is doing in his life. I think this is so significant right here, brother, because uh, as I speak with other men that come on the broadcast and tell their story, you know, this seems to be a crux point right here. This point of accepting God on one end, knowing that you're saved in your spirit, but not knowing how to actually live the life. That you're supposed to be living, still being enslaved, as you said, to different habits and different things. That's totally contrary to what the Word of God says and what we're supposed to be representing. So, man, that's powerful. So, as you as you're dealing with this, we understand that you know through high school, you go on through school, you're dealing with that, exposed to all of this type of um, uh, the elements in this lifestyle. We understand that you have a distinguished military career, so what happened in order for you to uh, join the military? How did you go from that, dealing with that, and then on to uh, joining the military and making that a, a career and a life for yourself?
2: Well, you know, at this uh, phase and season in, in my life, I could probably, uh, I'll find the humor in it, in it, but at the age of 16, I met my high school sweetheart. So, 16 and 17 um, were boyfriend and, and girlfriend, like we said, back then. But unfortunately, I found out that she was cheating on me and broke my heart. So my senior year, I got really rebellious. And next thing I know, in the month of December 1984, I see an Army recruiter come in, into the gymnasium at the school, going to a school rally and after that i went to the recruiter's office and i told him i wanted to sign up i, I had a rebellious you know um, my heart was was broken i was mad i was trying actually to get my life right because like i said from 14 to 16 i'm dealing with drugs I'm, I'm with the streets doing a bunch of things and i had a lot of friends but every time i did something i was a loner i would do it on my own so uh-huh. now at the age of 17 i find out that this young lady had cheated on me so I, I now I get more rebellious. So um, I, I listed in December nineteen eighty four. The following year when I graduated, I left in nineteen eighty five, August nineteen eighty five. But now in that transition, once I graduated high school, I traveled to the to the Caribbean, to Puerto Rico, to be in a in a wedding, a friend's wedding. In that process I met who's my wife for 31 years, I met Asinan. God wow. bless me. And I, and I met her, but I, I, I leave the island. I come back to the States, and I go into the Army in August 1985, and I was able to serve in the United States Army for 24 years. And God bless me while I retire as a commissioned officer. But in, in those 24 years, my past life hunted me.
1: Oh, man.
2: Now that I'm in the military, I'm still dealing with my addiction. The first place that the military sends me is to Korea. So here I I, I arrive in Korea December 3rd, 1985, 18 years old. Um, A young man making money on his own in a little town called Sanjuri, Korea, out of Camp Pelham. And all that you will see as soon as you leave that compound, you leave the military base, it's just clubs after clubs after clubs. By the age of 19, 1986, I was a full alcoholic. I actually went through what they we call AA um, twice in, while I was in the military. In 1986 wow. and 1989, I went through, through two different programs. My commander pretty much ordered me to go to, through this program because by 1989, I've had two auto accidents that involved alcohol. The first one, I was on my own. The second one, I had a soldier with me. And when I woke up, I was woken up in the ER in a, in a German hospital by the poke of a needle because they were, um, drawing blood on me of how how much alcohol I was drinking. I was not a casual drinker. I would just drink, drink, drink. And I found a way just to manipulate that through the system. You know, the, the United States Army, they do urinalysis, so I would pay someone, listen, and just do the urinalysis for me. So it could be negative, and I would be using, by this by that time, I would be using marijuana, cocaine, and drinking alcohol, and I was in the United States Army.
1: Wow. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, wow. You
2: know, uh, I, now, um, I'm serving the United States Army. By 1989, I had been married for two years, because I got married in 1987 to the young lady that I met in Puerto Rico. And when she finds out my lifestyle, what what she was dealing with, you know, she was not ready for this. She was raised serving God, and she comes from the island of Puerto Rico. Here she is in Germany. She doesn't know the, the, the language. She doesn't know English, and I bring her to this foreign country, and I'm doing all this. Next thing she knows, she's getting a call that I got arrested, and I spent the weekend in jail after that DUI. The next thing she knows, she's telling me she wants to get divorced. And I was, and I got threatened by the post commander, two-star general. He told me, he, I stood in front of his um, desk, and he told me he was going to discharge me. And I asked him, I told him to give me an opportunity. And I remember that, that following weekend, going to a church in, in, in Germany and just praying to God and, and asking God for forgiveness. That was my turnaround. In 1989, my wife was pregnant with our first daughter, and we were getting ready to come back to the United States, and that was my turnaround because I had a calling in my life to being a pastor. But I was running from the Lord when I went to Korea. I was running from the Lord when I went to Germany, and I was hiding behind the alcohol. I was hiding behind the drugs, and in the process I was going to lose my life, and I was going to lose my marriage. Dealing with all this this, by the age of 20. I had gotten into auto accidents involving alcohol. I had um, charges on me for DUI. I had a commander's letter. I had a feel-great article 15. I mean, all that you could say that was negative by the age of 20, I had in my records (laughs) because because of my lifestyle.
1: Wow. So you're telling us that even through all of this, in your young marriage, you know that you know your wife, of course, had no idea that you was living a double life. no, she had she had no idea that you were uh, suppressed with all of these different issues. And you was trying to to drown them out, really, because that's what people do, uh, you know, when we want to get on, you know, we would try to drown it out with with the alcohol or drugs or whatever. We're trying to suppress pains that we went through and and trying to um, eradicate memories that's locked up in our memory bank. So you had all of this by the age of 20. Now, that could have went south real quick. You had a letter from the commander that was ready to end your military career that you had just started, but you said you prayed to God and you asked him for forgiveness. So I guess that was the real point of deliverance for your life. Would you say that, is that when you really came in contact with the spirit of deliverance uh, at that point?
2: Yes. At at that point, going through all this tragic. That is when I really had that encounter with the Lord.
1: Wow, wow, man, man, that's that's and that's just incredible. Here you are. I mean, you only now you said you was what just twenty years old, right?
2: I was twenty years old, and by that age, I had gone through two different um, programs yes. that. The army offer for for rehabilitation for an alcohol.
1: Uh huh.
2: You know, and in this process, I'm dealing with this addiction. I'm dealing with being threatened that I'm going to be discharged from the military. I'm I'm dealing with a divorce. It was just overwhelming.
0: Wow!
1: Wow! That's 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 quite incredible. So so. Tell us a little bit more here. Now, so you said you, you know, you, you're a young father and uh, you, you're a husband as well. So once you uh, made that decision and that turnaround, that deliverance happened in your life and you began to walk with God in such a strong way, so how did God begin to open up uh, various aspects of ministry for you? In your life, you know, I know that God gave you a vision, and you know, in the, in the approach of your ministry is always in connecting people. So, what happened uh, as, a, as a result of you really turning everything over to God?
2: You know, my first calling into ministry was in, in that transition by the age of 16 to 17, 1984, 1985. I experienced being filled with the with the Holy Spirit. I got involved with the church, and unfortunately, I go through that situation with that young lady. But there is a scripture where God spoken to my life, and then back in 1990, we're getting ready to leave Germany, come to the state, and, and I was stationed in Fort Sill, Oklahoma, inside of the Book of Isaiah, chapter 61. The scripture. Ah. Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to relief from the darkness for the prisoners. And you know that that was who I was. And God has spoken to my life. That's what I've done for you through my Son Jesus Christ. And this is what I've called you to proclaim and do for others. And when I received that calling upon my life. And what God is speaking into my life that he wants me to do, I was able to identify with it. And then God is putting in my path different people that were struggling with my same situation. We get Mm. to Oklahoma, and as soon as we get from Oklahoma, I remember it was December 1990, and I'm and I'm driving from New Jersey where I picked up my car that was sent from Germany. And I'm driving in the interstate. There was a, a, a snowstorm. Our car immediately. I'm doing 40 miles per hour, and our car I, I, all of a sudden just starts spinning. And we, one of the tires blew up. My my baby daughter. She was one year old. She, and after that, she had my son. Uh, and she was carrying um, our son her wound so you basically say I had two children with us my spouse and we getting in, in into um, this accident um, I was able to get the car going I, I got to I got to the city of law in Oklahoma right outside the military base and I told that's in it we need to find a church I remember that evening we found a church it was December 31st 1990 and we went to the church Five months being into that church, the pastor was military. He says, listen, I'm being sent to Korea, and we would like for you to be the pastor. I had never pastor. And out of all the members that were there, he spoke to me and asked that. He says, I want you to be the pastors of the church. I'm 24 years old. Huh. So what? we were called to be pastor. June of 1991, we were given a congregation. Um, I would say that congregation probably had about 25 to 28 people, counting children. And when when he left, um, he left us with the church. The church was struggling financially, but we started working. And God continued just to remind me, Isaiah 61, Isaiah 61, and, and that's one what I'm preaching out of the altar, and, and I'm working with the church. And the one thing that we did as a church, we came to the altar. I had experienced that in my life in Germany, and I said, God, if, if we're going to make it, if something is going to happen in this congregation, we need to go to the altar. So I would bring the church to the altars on Sundays, Friday nights, having um, midnight watch services, and, and, and the, the pouring of the Holy Spirit Within one year, we're averaging about 150 in in in, a, in attendance at the church, a church full of the Holy Spirit. Out of that congregation today, we have birthed at least eight different churches. There's evangelists, there's pastors, but it, it, it was one year that I could tell you that there was an, an spiritual explosion and growth but it was because we went to the altar. And the reason we went to the altar was because I experienced that after my DUI, where I almost lost my life and killed a a soldier that was in the vehicle with me. What brought me back was coming to the altar. Ah. And if we want to see a change, we need to come back to the altar.
1: Ah, And I and
2: I experienced that from there. We, we got involved in, in pastoral ministry and, Right now, we're going on 28 years. This June it will be 28 years that we have um, been in pastoral ministry, missionary. I'm doing um, evangelism work right now, work. I've, I've sent in numerous um, boards here through, through the state of, of Tennessee. I remember when we got to Tennessee, I told the church, we birthed a church here in 2008, and out of that church, we birthed three more churches We had, in the Dominican Republic, in Oklahoma and in Florida, and I remember telling the church, I said, "Listen, our city mayor will know who we are." And for the for the grace of God, I am not a politician. People say, "Are you a politician?" No, I'm not a politician. You know, I'm a servant. But every month, I sit in a meeting where there is about 53 different mayors. There's different politics and public office and i sit there as the minority representative but when people speak to me they'll say pastor Jonas, because they know that i go there representing the kingdom of god and i Mm. say god i want to put me in a place where i'm able to represent you and your people and i've seen god doing
1: it wow that's phenomenal that's just Absolutely incredible. So you telling us all of these things that are happening and it's with you and with your your, your lovely wife, uh Sister Ansonette. So tell us how important is it for any of people that may be listening to this broadcast tonight that may be called to uh different aspects of ministry, whether it be missionary work, whether it be pastoral, whether it be apostolic work or what whatever it may be, uh in, in whatever dimension, how important was it uh, man of God, for your wife and you to be walking this thing together as one. How important you know, is that?
2: For me, it's very important. I, I remember hearing, and people many still say it, you know, behind a great man, there's a great woman. I don't believe that in that proverb. I believe that next to a great man, there is a great woman. Yes. And maybe our wife, or even if, if it's the woman, the husband, does not get up in the altar and preach with you, but that person is there with you, that person prays with you, that person's in the trenches with you, and and, and you labor together, you know, and if we have listeners that are listening to us, and and there are couples, you know, I believe that when the calling comes upon the life of that man or that woman, God's calling both of you. Now, if you're you're single, amen, and, and, and along the way God brings a couple, a man or a woman into your life is because God will bring someone that's ordained for the calling that He has given you. He equips you, but He also equips because things that I would not see, my wife would be could be sitting in the pews, and I'll be preaching, and things that I did not see. You know, when I came down from the pews, when we we're home, when we were in our time of prayer you know, God would reveal it to her, and she would speak into my life, and I knew that it that it was God, but for the grace of God, you know, she's taken the altar, she has preached, she's, um has started a widow's ministry, she gets involved with me in the community, so we're both very active in, in ministry, and I truly believe, and I've seen it in your life with, with, with Sister Jackie, it's a blessing to see how both of you are laboring, and that's what God has called us. You know, God has has not called us to be out front and you do not attend to your house. Even uh, the Apostle Paul speaks about it and the blessing that God has given me because I don't deserve nothing that I have today, but I am grateful and thankful for the Lord that even today my three adult children are serving God. They fear God. They're involved in ministry. You know, and I'm a very part, my youngest one, she's 26, my oldest, she's 29, going on 30. But I am truly involved in the life of my children. I believe their marriage is very important, their, yeah. their, their Christian life, them as entrepreneurs. So I even um, push that and in, 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 in play the role as a, of a mentor in the life of my three adult children. And my oldest daughter, she has two kids, and I even I'm even doing that in the life of my grandkids. Yes, sir. You first have to have God involved yes, in your life for your family to be successful. You know, you, you cannot have a successful ministry in a dysfunctional home.
1: Ha! Say that one more time. Ladies and gentlemen, did y'all hear that? You cannot, the man of God said, you cannot have a successful ministry in a dysfunctional home. So if the latter is not lining up, then my suggestion would be just just sit on down because I'm going to tell you, brother, that's exactly what I would do. I tell, my, I tell the Lord and I tell myself, I tell my wife, I say, listen, if I can't live this thing and if it's, and if it's not showing in how I treat you and, and, and how we're living our life before people, then I'm going to sit myself down because I don't want to bring any ill refute to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He deserves the best. He really and does. And
2: it's like Isaiah 61. You continue to read Isaiah 61. When that anointing is over your life, and you're proclaiming the year of the Lord, the favor of the Lord, when you go into verse 3, it says you provide for those that are in grief and Zion to bestow a crown of beauty. Instead of, of ashes, the oil of joy. Instead of mourning, a garment of praise. Instead yes. of a spirit of they will be called the oak of righteousness so Lord, this starts in your house i cannot uh-huh. tomorrow go to the altar preach the message of salvation i'll have come 10 20 come to the lord but here my kids are going straight to hell why do you want to speak to me jesus and look what verse 4 says isaiah 61 verse 4 they will build the ancient ruins and restore the place long devastated. The anointing brings rebuilding. The anointing will restore. The anointing will bestow on you the authority to call those things that were ashes into the oil of joy. Wow. And it starts in your bedroom. It starts in your house with your family.
1: I truly believe that, man of God, ladies and gentlemen, Amen. if y'all are on this broadcast tonight, know that that's where it is. The ministry starts within the home. It's God first and then his family, and that's what we got to be committed to so uh Pastor Renee, if, if there was any uh, advice that you would have for anybody that's facing uh, some insurmountable odds, you know they're facing some difficult things in life, you know it may be about where they came from, where they live what they don't have, what they think they don't have, you know, or the abuse or or whatever it may be that they may be going through because God has done some tremendous things in your life to bring you through, you know, three uh uh car wrecks where, you know, uh your life could have been snuffed out, uh uh, uh your military career could have been ended quickly and just you know, all of the things you were exposed to. So what would you say to an individual that may be on his broadcast now what kind of advice would you leave for them as far as turning their life around or really getting a grip on their life? What would you say to them?
2: You know, what you just said, um, there's probably folks out there that have been abused. and, and, And right now, probably being abused, being bullied, dealing with addiction, dealing with so many things. Right now, the first thing, don't give up. Don't give up on yourself. Our self-esteem, we lose our self-esteem. We think that God has forgotten about us. Give God the opportunity to reshape your life. You are the clay, and he is the potter. Second, we need to get under the mantle of a mentor. In this process, you know, that I have spelled out since I was born in the late 60s to now um, 2019, I've come across... Different men in my life, like you've been, um, uh, Brother Fox, a, a mentor, and I have asked for help. Don't be scared to ask for help. We need to be accountable to somebody. Yes. Once you're, you're in that right path, you're in, 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 in a church where you're being fed, where there is liberty to the spirit, start being faithful to God. Even in the small things, when you are faithful, he will reward you. I, I've seen it in my life. You know, when I was about to lose my marriage, I was about to lose my military career. I remember being, I was deployed in 9-11. I was um, in Kuwait. From there, I was sent to Iraq. But coming back, I remember there was an opportunity to go from being an enlisted into an officer. And I, and I wrote that petition, that prayer petition, and I put it in my Bible. And every day when I, when I wake up and I read my Bible, I pray to the Lord. And when I turn to my application, so many people said, listen, they're not going to approve it. Even the new office where I, where, I, where I submitted, they say it was not going to approve because of my records, because of my field grade article 15, because of my DUI, because of all the things that I, have done. I had done. I think I got about six different letters of waivers. But do you know that when that list came out stating who got selected, to go to the office academy, I was number six on that list. I believe God. <laughs> and today I could tell you I retired from the military after twenty four years and, I, and and you and you shared my life and my my record. And my record was not private. It was public. That means anybody that sat in the board will see all all the things that I did. But you know what? I was faithful to God. And in due time he elevated me to the place that he wanted me to, to be elevated. Do I deserve it? No, I do not deserve it. But Jesus paid that price. So I say it again. Don't give up. Give God the opportunity and he will reshape your life.
1: Wow, man, this is phenomenal. This is just absolutely incredible. Ladies and gentlemen, I know you've heard this powerful testimony. And as he said, that you are to uh, give the Lord your life. So many of you may be on this broadcast right now. You've heard this, this powerful testimony of this man of God. You've heard what God has done in his life. And you may be at that place where you want to receive this very same God that he is speaking about that can actually come into your spirit and change your life. So, Pastor Rene, as we're ending, would you um, give our people out here, some of them may not have had the opportunity to be embraced with the salvation of Jesus Christ, would you lead us into how they can receive Christ for themselves?
2: You know, As you listen to us, if you acknowledge that you're broken, you probably have lost hope and you know you need the Lord. Right there where you are, like I did, you could tell God to forgive you and ask God to come into your heart. If you've been running from the Lord, you know that God has called you and the devil has just been and, uh, at your door knocking and there's temptation, pressure. Sometimes we're dealing with, with depression. We're dealing with anxiety. You, at night, you can't sleep. You, 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 there's a battle going on. The battle's not yours. The battle is of the Lord. And I tell you, right there is where you are right now. If you would just close your eyes and just give God the opportunity. If the only thing you could say is, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Declare those words right now with me and say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to forgive my sin. I ask you to bring healing to my mind, to my heart, and to my soul. I ask you, God, to forgive those that have abused me, to forgive those that have done wrong unto me. Mm. And I ask you, God, to restore me right now. If you have prayed this prayer, I truly believe God will do it. The only thing you have to do is give him the opportunity. Don't give up. And trust God that today, right now, according to your faith, he's working behind the scenes. You might not see it, but he is working right now.
1: Amen. Amen. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you join with us in that prayer, and for those of you that may not have had that opportunity, you took this plunge, you took this dive into this this, this ocean of love that's called Jesus Christ, then you have a new life. You have a new beginning. You have a new start. The Bible declares that old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. When you accept Christ, you are now a new creature, you have a new adventure in life. You have a new chance, a new opportunity to leave those old things behind and to walk towards the new. So listen, ladies and gentlemen, we want to thank you for joining us tonight on our broadcast. My guest has been my brother, my good friend, my elder statesman uh, brother. And Pastor Rene, and, and let, let's let the people know, where can they get in touch with you, Pastor? Can you leave uh, an, an email address uh, or where people can find you? It may be some people that, that have been through or heard this testimony, and they want to be able to connect with you and be able to find out how they can discuss some things with you. Where can they reach you at?
2: Yes, um, I could be reached my email it's my first name and my wife's name is Renee Astonet, R E N E A C E N E T, at gmail.com. I also have a Facebook page, it's Ministerio Casa de Restauración. I know that um, we have shared the, the link for the, the fender, and through that link that is that um, Brother Fox is sharing, you could um, find my Facebook page. Just reach out if you need prayer. Uh, if there is a, a need and you feel that I could speak into your life, that I, um, there's something that I could do for you, I am available. My desire is to complete the assignment of God that he's given me here on earth to enable my family to be involved in, 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 in ministry and to leave behind visionaries, leaders, leaders, people with the heart and the mindset of Nehemiah to rebuild. So that is my desire. And if that's where you're at right now, listen, you could count on me.
1: Amen. Amen. So once again, ladies and gentlemen, this is Defender. I am the host of this show. My name is James Fox. We are on every Sunday at 6 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time, 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and 4 o'clock p.m. Pacific Standard Time. It has been an incredible evening. We want to bless you in the name of the Lord. We want to thank you for joining in and hearing what God wants to speak to you today. So we'll see you again next week. Have yourself an awesome, awesome week. We love you, and God bless.
0: The Defender is an online radio broadcast geared toward teaching the Word of God. Our aim is to present the scriptures of the Bible in an informative, systematic process that exalts the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We strive for the inherent and accurate interpretation of the scriptures by revelation from the Holy Spirit, We are established to give his counsel as pertains to what he has revealed in his word. Tune in next time for The Defender.
2: The Defender is copyrighted by James Fox Ministries and the Resilient Christian Radio Network.